I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation featuring fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, business, and more. My guest today is Keith Station, Deputy Chief of Staff for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Mayor's Office at the City of Omaha. Our conversation is being recorded by Zoom. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast, we accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. Keith Station is the first ever Deputy Chief of Staff for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion in the Mayor's Office at the City of Omaha. His role is to develop and lead a strategic plan for diversity and inclusion in city government. Keith was previously Director of Business Relations at Heartland Workforce Solutions and led the YMCA of Greater Omaha. He earned his degree in Business Administration at the University of Nebraska and his Master's in Management at Indiana University, Bloomington. He lives in Omaha with his family. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stuart. Pleasure to be here. You have studied and lived outside of the Omaha area. I'm wondering how you feel like those places were perhaps similar to Omaha and perhaps how you think they were different. Sure. Well, when I was in Indiana, I was in graduate school. And so I was a student at a, at a Big Ten institution. And, and that, Stuart, that actually did resemble where I immediately come from, which was the University of Nebraska. So being in a college town, Bloomington, you know, but, but also being a graduate student was a bit different. Um, I, it wasn't as, as I wasn't as, as social while I was in grad school as I was in undergrad. And so um, Bloomington, to a certain degree, resembled Lincoln, you know, and, and being in Nebraska. And I had a great time there in 2004, 2005, met some great people, people that I still have connections with today. And, and, and then so I got my first, you know, real job in Orlando and, and moved there. And Orlando was, was amazing. And that was actually my second stint in Orlando. But going to Orlando to have my first big boy job was, was fun. I wasn't a parent yet, um, and I lived in and worked in downtown Orlando. I had a great time. I worked at sports marketing, and so I worked for uh, the, the uh, Greater Orlando Sports Commission or the Central Florida Sports Commission at the time, and I had a chance to uh, work at some really amazing world-class sports events, everything from uh, hosting NCAA championships to working with you know golf tournaments that Tiger Woods was playing in to uh, – part of the organization that bid for and eventually won WrestleMania to be held at the Citrus Bowl. It was amazing. Just some of the personalities that that you meet and and some of the ways you get involved in economic development and community partnerships. And again, the culture in Central Florida uh, was amazing. The Disney aspect and element uh, in the community was was really cool. And you you take for granted, uh, just like we do here probably, you take for granted when you have world-class uh, amenities and, and spaces in your backyard, um, you don't always patronize those as often. And, and I certainly, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have done more to enjoy uh, that city. Uh, and then I eventually moved to, to Dallas-Fort Worth to do the same type of sports marketing work. And I worked for uh, the city of Irving 
Texas. Uh, Irving is a, is a, a Dallas area suburb. Um, and I work for the Convention and Visitors Bureau there. And I was a national sales manager for, for sports entertainment. And again, working with sports events, meetings and competitions, attracting them to that area. Um, and it was great. Texas is, is an amazing place. You know, Dallas is a really cool town. And uh, I, again, met a lot of friends. I got really uh, deeply ingrained into the sports event and destination marketing scene there. One of the most memorable things I was able to do was, was uh, work on the, the Super Bowl 45 host committee. And that was really a memorable experience because I was um, working with a committee of my peers from across the region who was just helping the area get ready for the, the game to come to town. It's, a, it's a, a two to three year process of getting hotels on board, getting entertainment venues prepared. Uh, working with uh, elected officials and, and community members to just welcome uh, that event to the area. And then I had a chance to uh, come home to Omaha uh, to work for the Omaha Sports Commission in 2011. And uh, I came back to be the assistant director of the Omaha Sports Commission. And at that time, we were hosting the Olympic Sun Trials. And so I had a chance to see that event come for the second time, uh, come together and um, I had a chance to work with the U.S. Figure Skating Championships and, and just have a front row seat to, again, um, Olympic level talent and, and events. What was going through your mind? So many people leave Omaha uh, promising never to come back, right? But there's something that lures people back. And I'm wondering, certainly for you, you just said there was a career opportunity, but, but what were the thoughts going through your mind um, when you were thinking, do I, do I take this job? And if I do take this job, what, what are the pros and cons of moving back to Omaha? The, the uh, career advancement opportunity, if you will, was certainly a big part of it. But it was uh, also, uh, without question, family was here. My, my family is here. And I was excited that my, my daughters would be able to grow up around you know, my their grandparents and my family. So that was a big part of coming home. And uh, it wasn't necessarily something that I was seeking to do. It just... It, it worked out at the that the at the time that the uh, that position was available. Um, it just was the right fit for me. It happened to be my hometown, if you will. So it all came together well when I thought about my daughters can be you know raised up around their grandparents, and I can come home and contribute to the community that raised me, and I can you know grow up here um, as a professional, and I can get involved. I can take those lessons and relationships and and you know, experiences that I got in other communities and bring those home. And, and I sort of feel like I owe that to my community. I owe that to my city. I owe that to, uh, to young men and women who I get a chance to mentor and, and, and encourage. Sometimes we come from here and we want to go experience other things or we want to just leave. But um, if, if everybody just leaves, then, then, you know, whose responsibility is it to make sure that our, our city continues to thrive and our community and our descendants uh, have the kind of exposure and experiences that they need if everybody, you know, leaves. And I understand, you know, leaving. I left too uh, for a while, but but coming home has been so fulfilling, even with a, a, a few snowflakes coming down, Stu. I want to, first of all, make sure I don't miss the opportunity to recognize and applaud you for that spirit you just shared of wanting to return to invest something of yourself in a meaningful way in a community that you felt deserved that from you. To me, that talks about a very powerful 
ethical approach to how you are choosing deliberately to live your life. And I'm wondering if you see it that way, you've sort of alluded to it a little bit in the way you've shared that. If you do see that, where did that, as it were, I'm going to say moral fortitude come from? Or you know, what inspired that in you? Well, Stu, that, that's very, uh, very kind of you to frame it that way. You know, I, I, I'd be disingenuous if I said that that was my intention all along. You know, um, sometimes when I look back and, and look at my path, it was not necessarily uh, my plan. You know, it, it wasn't uh, this um, very intentional career pathway that I set out that would ultimately you know, lead me back here. It was more so just I was ambitious and I was I've always been a sponge and I've always um, been interested in, in learning about things that I don't know yet. And I've always been attracted to uh, strong leadership. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate about leadership and I've, I've been fortunate, very blessed to work for some uh, outstanding leaders who helped me to understand what being a leader is about and what that means and how you build others up and how you help other people ascend and, and reach their potential. Part of the answer to your question is, is leaders that I've worked with and for. Um, another part of that is, you know, as, I, as I've grown up and, you know, still I'm of a certain age now and, and you know, my, and my uh, wisdom here, uh, you know, I, I recognize uh, what's important and what's important is family and community to me. And, and I owe it to my community. Again, I owe it to boys, I owe it to black boys and black girls to be here and to help, you know, make the city that I will leave behind to them better. And, uh, and I just, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy um, being among people that I have a kinship with and have a familiarity with and in the name of making Omaha better and, uh, you know, figuring out a way to do that and calling people into doing that. And I think that's sort of the natural matriculation to kind of how I ended up here was put me in a position to be able to uh, do it on on this special leadership platform um, that I have now to to do, you know, hopefully exponential good in, in, the, in the city. Even though it feels to me as if diversity, equity, and inclusion should be abundantly clear to people, I'm wondering if, as you've embarked on this new role, if you found that people are still a bit confused or unsure, um, or really just have no idea what it is you're even doing or trying to talk about with them. Absolutely. Uh, what a great question, Stuart. And, and, I, and I'll be careful and mindful here because I could drone on about that for a long time. <laughs> so I would be conscious of the time, but um, that's, a, that's a great question. There's a lot of ways to, a lot of things packed into how to, how to address that. 
Um, I've been in my role now for about a year and a half. And in this, in this little year and a half that I've been here, um, I've learned so much and I have uh, certainly picked my spots and been thoughtful and mindful in how I approach my role. Um, I've said often that uh, the mayor didn't hire me to uh, come in and turn everything upside down and start over. Uh, she didn't hire me to be the culture police. So, you know, mindful of those things, I think that I think I've been most effective when I help to sort of simplify the conversation and some, some simplified complexity, if you will, how we discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it is it is a, a, a it can be a really uh, heavy, uh, dense subject matter area. And I've seen that that when you are mindful of how it can how deep you can go uh, as a practitioner, uh, everybody's not able sometimes or even interested in, in going into the intricacies of, of what I get to do and spend a lot of time on, but that doesn't mean that there's not space for them to contribute or make their organization or their community better. So when I get a chance to uh, unpack the complexity of it and make it plain and invite people to seeing how they can be a part of expanding a culture of inclusion you know, within our organization and within a community, I found that to resonate. Uh, let me say it another way. Keep it simple. Um, use real examples. Make sure that everybody understands that inclusion means all. So when we're talking about more inclusion in an organization, uh, even a public sector municipal corporation like the city of Omaha, um, there is room for everyone to contribute to a, a culture that, that includes more people in how we do business and how we govern and how um, we pull levers that ultimately end up in the um, the customer experience, which are which are citizens of the city of Omaha. You know, what are we doing when we're doing our jobs in, in City Hall and beyond? Are we mindful of how this affects the you know citizens of, of which some of us are? Some of us are also the citizens that we're working on behalf of. Steward diversity and inclusion can be a lot. It, it's it's talking about race. It's talking about culture and bias and and belonging and uh, systemic issues and talking about those topics can be difficult. It can cause people to be quiet and step away and let you know, marginalized populations sort of do all the talking and that's not how it should be in my opinion. You know, my brand of this work is to make sure that uh, everybody's called in to figure out what they can do, how they can use their sphere of influence, how they can use their role, how they can use their network how they can use their social capital, how they can use their intellectual, you know, capital to make our organization better. Um, and that's what I found to be uh, effective, uh, doing more listening than talking, you know, asking questions and, and letting people sort of articulate what they'd like to see, making sure that, you know, people feel like, like I have a, I have an important title, Stuart. I have a, I have a title that sounds official and it sounds really important and I report directly to the mayor and it's awesome that people uh, think that I'm somebody important, but, but really I'm, I'm just another city employee who is here to sort of help um, build bridges and invite people to weigh in and to explore how we can be a better employer. We have over 3000 people that work for the city of Omaha and there's a lot of room for us to continue to get better. And the mayor has, has been awesome in helping me or allowing me, I should say, to sort of endeavor on that. How do we make the city better by calling more voices to the table to weigh in and to make suggestions and to join committees and to encourage other city leaders to invest in their teams 
to be involved in this DEI work. And it's just, it's just been great. I've almost been surprised that um, as many people that have been receptive to it as there have been, um, it's been a pleasant surprise and it's just been encouraging to me to keep going and to be patient. Um, you, you know, the experts say you can't slow walk equity, um, but you also can't uh, be hasty. You know, you can't microwave it. And that's what I'm mindful of every day with, with every conversation I have. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate because I, 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 you know, get paid to come to work and be me, which and, and what be, being me means at work is, is again, having conversations, building bridges, seeking to understand, um, modeling uh, respectful and responsible conversations about race and culture. It's, again, it's hard to do sometimes. And I um, get excited when people are willing to uh, talk about hard topics. I work with some some people um, that are, are members of other departments in the city who are a part of the mayor's uh, diversity inclusion advisory board. And it's a great group of individuals who you know represent their own respective departments and help um, me help the city to to lead um, in diversity inclusion efforts and and uh, objectives that we've we've co-created to just again build a more inclusive culture in the city. I appreciate hearing you, Keith, say that you were pleasantly surprised that there was more willingness, more energy for people to lean in or to be called in, as you said. I am completely on board with um, the need for a proactive role like yours. I'm certainly not blind to the many, many types of isms and um, inequities that exist in our community and society at large. I am wondering if, notwithstanding that, you you have encountered um, some people that don't understand. They, they don't understand that something is broken. And I'm wondering if um, what misperceptions you're encountering and if you're having to explain to people, this is what's broken. And if we don't fix this, then the consequences for the city and for the community look like this down the line, as opposed to this down the line. I appreciate that question because it, it leads right into uh, something lately that I've really uh, been distilling down in, in my mind. I've been kind of synthesizing the, the you know my observations and my conversations and, and, and data and, and talking to subject matter experts and to um, three things that really resonate for me and my crusade to invite people into the work. And those are that we ought to um, have diversity, equity, inclusion in everything, you know, DEI in everything. It's not this thing that's just happening over there. Don't just call Keith when it's time to talk about diversity stuff, you know, what should be ingrained in how we do business as a, again, as a municipal corporation is uh, how diverse are we? Are we mindful of who's in the room? Are we mindful of the implications of our decisions and our spending and, and, and our activities and what does it mean? And, you know, what are our values 
that are reflected when we administer the work. So, so, so one, you know, DE and I and everything has to be built in, not bolted on. Um, the second one is, is the business case versus the values case. Um, this is applicable in lots of places in, in traditional uh, business and industry, but especially in DNI, um, I'm reminded of, of the uh, zero sum game sort of analogy or, or the grow the pie sort of mentality. There's a couple of books that I've, I've enjoyed reading that sort of explain that. Um, expanding diverse inclusion is good for business and it's also the right thing to do. You don't have to choose between the two. You should do both and both, you know, one begets the other. Both are necessary and you should grow the pie versus thinking that doing one of doing more of one means you have to do less of another. And um, that's certainly the case with diversity and inclusion. And you have to be careful because if you talk too much about the business case, then you sort of diminish um, or trivialize the importance of it being the right thing to do in an organization. And it, because it increases engagement and makes people feel safe and, and helps people be more upwardly mobile and, and all the great things that come from that. But if you talk about the value or make the values case um, only or too strongly, then you um, may miss or ignore the fact that we still are a business that needs to operate. You know, we, we still have to, um, um, be, you know, and, and maybe in the private sector be, be profitable and you have to do both. That's just been really helpful. And so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is just, and just given the, the nature of the business I work in, in, in government now, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an appointed uh, city official. Uh, um, this has been helpful is, is to depoliticize the work. You know, um, at the time we are in hyper-partisan times and the more we can make the work nonpartisan and apolitical and, you know, depoliticize it, I think the better because it, it's less polarizing. And again, like I said earlier, uh, talking about race and talking about systemic issues and talking about bias, uh, that stuff get, is, is heavy. And, and but, but also we have to talk about, it. we can't run from it. We have to say the things, we have to look at the data. We have to invite everyone to being a part of the solution to how we um, adjust it and, and bring some some more equity into how we do business and to how we you know, make our respective impacts in the work. And so once you do that and we can disarm people and sort of understand that we are all working together. I know this sounds, this probably sounds very, you know, uh, harmonious here. And I, and I hope I don't sound like I have my head in the clouds, but the more we can work together and the more we can set our political ideologies aside um, and do work together to make our organization and our community better, I think the more effective we'll be. Because if we don't do that, I think history has shown us that the polarization in politics these days, we'll, we'll still be doing this in, in 25 years. Too. We'll, we'll still be working on the same stuff in a quarter of a century from now. You know, my kids, my descendants will still be doing um, what I'm doing in the same way. Hopefully they won't be. Um, if we don't depoliticize the work and, and call more people in and again, have hard conversations and, and be real about the implications of the work, but um, let's take politics out of it. So D and I and everything, um, careful and mindfulness about the business case versus the values case, and then let's depoliticize the work. Those three things have helped me to your original questions too. Those, those three things have helped me to bring people along who might be struggling or might be uncomfortable talking about race or who might uh, maybe don't buy it and say, oh, you know, is this diversity inclusion stuff, is this really necessary right now? Or, or you know, can we just come to work and do our job and go home? Those types of sentiments certainly have been there. And I appreciate people who've been honest and, and, and raised their hand and said, hey, I don't understand this, or hey, I don't believe in this. And we've done some surveys and, and we've worked with uh, different departments 
to try to better understand what um, their needs are and, and kind of how they, uh, what their experience has been. Um, and we, we, we take that information and, and uh, it adds to the, the strategic plan that we're building out so that we have a clear articulatable strategy that everybody can, that we'll, we'll invite everyone to opt into and that will hopefully expand the culture of inclusion in the city. I fully recognize that third point you made about depoliticizing the issue. But to a degree, you don't get to make that choice. Um, true. It, it gets politicized for you. Anybody in Nebraska right now knows that there's a governor's race happening and that there are candidates in that race that are actively trying to politicize issues like critical race theory, for example, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the University of Nebraska systems strategic efforts around inclusion as a strategic goal for the future of the institution. Right. I'm just kind of wondering what are some of the frustrations and we, you know, we will get to what's working, what, what you're achieving and what you hope for, but what are some of the frustrations and, and the challenges that are right in front of you with that kind of public dialogue? Sure. Stu, I read recently that the university of Nebraska asked the, uh, the candidates to, to stop utilizing the, the mark and the, the university and, and some of the political campaigns. I think that was the right thing to do because the university system uh, shouldn't be in the center of that, you know, and, and I think the candidates probably all agree that it's probably better to not put the university in the crosshairs of, of, you know, political battles because it's just not good for the university and uh, subsequently our state. Right. So, and, and, and the, you know, education here and the talent that we want to retain. So that was probably a, a good thing to do. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm happy because the mayor, um, you know, understands that, that, that point about depoliticizing the work too. You know, um, the mayor is the chief elected official of the city and she understands politics and she understands the climate um, and she understands what happens when, you know, campaigns heat up. Uh, but she's still in the work, you know, with us and, and has uh, allowed us to, to keep doing the work uh, responsibly and in a measured way um, and in a way that'll be effective. And I'm, so I'm, I'm happy and proud that the mayor has, has empowered us to, to keep moving forward. Right. Um, some of the things that frustrate me, uh, I would say, um, is, is you, you, you touched on it, just, just maybe some of the intellectual dishonesty about uh, what the issues are and what the issues aren't. Um, also, um, I think that there is a, there's certainly a lot of, um, right ways to do this work and there are wrong ways to do it as well. And I think that, again, we have to say things and have hard conversations, but I think that when we administer the work, um, if it's too abrasive, I think that doesn't help. I think that's counterproductive when it's too abrasive. It doesn't mean we have to be uh, too nice. And it doesn't mean we can't, again, can't have hard conversations. I want to be clear here, Stuart. We, we, we have to have hard conversations. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but we have to make room for people to say clumsy things and, and extend grace. And, and again, invite people into the conversation. Um, inclusion means all. We have to make room for um, majority populations and, and non-marginalized populations to be a part of, of the dialogue. 
so so when the work is too uh, uh, abrasive, that is uh, frustrating sometimes. Um, also, it, it stretches you. I've been personally stretched, and and uh, you know, for for example, with pronouns, I, I was uh, I shared this story that I was in a in a uh, a situation a meeting, and someone corrected me because I, I wasn't using their their proper pronouns, and in that moment, um, I was able to take the way it came at me, but I was a little disappointed because the other people that um, witnessed this person correct my usage of pronouns were a little put off and, and, and that kind of thing hurt the work. I think that the way that it was shared was not helpful, but at the same time that was telling because we, we almost have to be, you know, trauma informed in how we do work because I suppose that the person that corrected my uh, improper usage of, of their pronouns has been persecuted, you know, in life and has felt things that I haven't felt. And so in that moment, when they felt like they needed to correct my pronouns, that's how they felt. And so I understood and I, I got it. And, and I can appreciate the emphasis and the passion that they, and, and maybe even just the, the being at that moment at their wits end for having to, to ask another person to use their proper pronouns. I can understand that. But there were others that didn't understand that. And I, I, uh, I don't like situations that uh, make people too guarded and, and feel like they can't be a part of it. Like, you know, those kinds of things, I think, make it difficult. And so, again, my approach is let's call in, let's educate, let's invite people to be a part of it. Let's keep it simple because, again, everybody's not willing to dig in as deep as I get to every day, Stu. So, so how do we call people in to do their part, to understand real world scenarios that can make you know, their job better and, and ultimately the, the community better? But um, just candidly, I think one of my frustrations is the, is the fact that we are still working on this. You know, we're still working on this and we will still be working on it tomorrow. And, and I wish that there wasn't a, a need for my role, quite frankly. I'm, I'm, I'm happy and grateful. I appreciate the mayor uh, you know, making room for me on, the, on our executive team. It, it is an absolute honor. But I wish that there didn't need to be a me. Alas, here we are, and that's okay. And, and we're going to do our best to, to make sure we make a difference, uh, you know, a measurable difference. I do want to ask about what you're hoping to achieve with this role, given that if we just take the 1619 project as, as a mark and we just say, you know, for more than 400 years, um, it doesn't mean, therefore, that we're going to solve some of these issues in the next, you know, four weeks. So what is the nature of the work you're doing, you're tasked with, and what are you hoping to achieve with this work, you know, long term? 
there's a lot in there. You know, I was involved in a, in a, a community conversation recently where the, the topic of discussion was how close is the city's workforce to um, the city of Omaha's population parity. And we're not there currently. And, uh, and when you, you look at the city's workforce by race, uh, the only population that is has any percentage points uh, beyond parity is, is white Caucasian. And so I think the city of Omaha's um, white population, I think is something like 77%. And the city of Omaha's white Caucasian workforce is 82%. And the others, uh, African-American, uh, Native, uh, Asian, Hispanic, Latino, all the others are behind citywide parity. And so, and so while that's not realistic for us right now for a, a host of reasons, um, that, that, you know, it, it might be worth taking a deep, deeper dive into understanding why that's the case. There are issues like, you know, uh, skills gaps and transit issues and, and even some systemic issues and some career exploration issues and, and, and uh, secondary uh, issues. And even, even that the brain drain uh, conversation that we sort of started our conversation with today. Uh, a lot of those factors contribute to the fact that the city's workforce doesn't mirror the population. But with that said, um, I think that if we find some metrics that are realistic for us to move toward to at least make sure that people have opportunities to work in government and earn a, a, a decent living, uh, not just a decent living, but can thrive and, and, and have a career in government. I think that those kinds of things, if we can move the needle there, we'll, we'll show success. And, and, and when I say um, maybe some, some incremental measurements, I think that the, the realistic thing to do is to not just say, let's make the workforce mirror parity for the city's population, but let's let's take a look at a, a realistic, reasonable percentage of people that we can increase by in three to five years. And, and let's work backwards from there and see what do we need to do today and tomorrow to make sure that we are, it, it even looks like things on the micro level, like where we post for jobs and, and how we phrase our job descriptions and how much we pay, how we um, invest in developing leaders in the city. Um, it, you know, I think a lot of people know that typically, uh, and not just in the city, but in, or, or in our city uh, or in our community, but in lots of places, we tend to promote people uh, when they are good at their job, you know, not because they are good leaders or have the leadership traits necessarily. And I think that um, I would like to see the city uh, maybe lead the charge in that. Um, let's be intentional about making sure that city leaders are leaders. And I hope that doesn't sound too overly simplistic, but I think that's, I think some intentionality behind that would be good. Um, when, I, when I put on my uh, workforce development hat from, from my previous five years before I came here, uh, I was able to uniquely understand the challenges of the workforce here locally. And, and, and so you know that we have the lowest unemployment rate, you know, the state does anyway, in the country or, or, or among the lowest. And so does the metro area. And so we have, the entire country is experiencing workforce issues and has been for some time. And then, you know, Nebraska, Omaha has it even more so. And so we have to be, we have to be extra strategic and intentional about making sure we uh, retain talent. We're able to uh, attract talent, make sure that we create an upperly mobile path for talent in, in our workforce and also be competitive with other communities who are, are trying to lure uh, the best and the brightest from Omaha to other places. Again, that's, we all know that spiel, um, but it's our reality. And I would like to, to lead the charge on that. So uh, again, answering your question about, you know, what are we 
what can we do? I also, I'd like to, and I say this to my my, my committee often, and uh, again, I have to say I really appreciate the the, the boards that I get a chance to, to liaise with. Um, let's let's be excellent. Like let's lead the, the the nation, and let's let's allow Omaha to be the city that was the best at this. Like I really aspire to do that. Like how can we do that? How can we make sure that when it's all said and done, we led the way in this country as as the city in the center of the country. We were the city that were the best, you know, had the, the a culture and the spirit of, of high uh, excellence in expanding diversity, equity, inclusion from a municipal standpoint, again, internally, you know, inside of City Hall, you know, and beyond in our workforce, but also externally into the community. How can we be the best? That's what I want to do. And I want to inspire others to see that as a possibility. You know, um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about instilling that. Um, I, I'd like to also continue to work with with our human resources department. We have a great human resources leader who is on board with this. Um, I'd like to to make sure that we create a message and an employment brand that, that says who we are as a city and why it's good to work for us. And then upon your hire and onboarding, uh, we give you an opportunity to opt in to what it means to work for the city, how and why we embrace diversity and inclusion so that you don't later on learn, oh, we are, we do, you know, have a diversity and inclusion, you know, committee and, and initiatives here. No, I want that to be something that attracted the talent we have. And I want you to have an opportunity early on to align with the values that the city, you know, upholds related to DEI. You know, ultimately, again, what that benefits or what that results in is 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 to the benefit of, of the citizens of the city. And that's what um, we're thinking about, too. I want to pick up on some of the language that you've been using and some of the themes that seem to matter a lot to you. And so you used words like leadership, mentors, inspiration, values. And I want to get a sense of how you have grown over these years and why you feel that you are now in this position. You are called into this position and this work. And just to get us there, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about, you know, what was your childhood like? I have, I think I have a sixth sense um, that I have the ability to step outside of myself um, to consider other opinions and, and be honest about how I feel about what it means. And, and I have an inability to be unless he dishonest to pretend like I don't know things. 
um, and function like I don't know things. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm digging t- into my childhood to, to, under, to, to sort of maybe gather uh, where that came from. But um, I, I bring that with me in my work every day because you have to, um, and maybe I'm just this, this big empath that um, just tries to look through the lens of others and, and consider other experiences. And sometimes, you know, it's easy for me to be devil's advocate. Maybe it's, it's you know, I'm a, uh, originally I'm a marketing person, marketing. I was a, I was a DECA student at Central High School and I was a marketing major in college and undergrad. And as a, as a marketer, you're constantly uh, refining how to develop your messaging and your branding and you're thinking about how it lands. And so in order to do that, you have to step outside of yourself and consider how it comes across. And so I bring that into my work and I try to help others see the value in doing that. And it, it requires you to be humble and honest and, you know, uh, introspective and curious. You have to be about the work. You know, what does that mean? That means you have to be um, invested a, a bit with your heart and, and mind. You know, this isn't just a job for me. This is this is and I appreciate you saying something that, you know, being called to do this. I sort of feel that way. Um, when I think about my upbringing, I, I, uh, I grew up in my household as the youngest of three boys. My, my mother raised, uh, I have two, two sisters, but I grew up um, as the youngest of three boys. And I have another older brother who you know, I didn't grow up in the same household with. But uh, when you're the youngest, um, you benefit from, you know, my, my older brothers were, were you know, uh, did some knucklehead things and, you know, they showed the way. And, and, and then I had it way smoother than they did. Uh, in some ways. And so um, sometimes being the youngest child and, and, and what that means helps me to step outside of myself and see another person's perspective. I think that for a portion of my youth, uh, I was uh, in, a, in a single parent household. My, my, my mother uh, married my, my stepfather uh, in 1991. So they've been married for 30 years. So I grew up with, when I was 10 years old, I, I grew up with my stepfather. And so I um, grew up in a two parent household for the majority of my upbringing, but sometimes being in a single parent household helped to develop that, I think. And um, maybe some other things I haven't unlocked yet, Stu, that allow me to do that. But uh, I just, I've lost, I've lost the ability to not be honest about things to myself. I'm wondering if when you look back at the people that were around you during your formative years and, and, and you can define formative how you like, But do you see in the examples of others around you aspects of who you are and how you behave, how you see your values today? I do. When when it comes to family and how close-knit my family is, and to me, family means a lot of things. Family is is your, uh, you know, blood relatives, but also extended family and friends, you know, even like with uh, my fraternity brothers and, and people who I went to school with that kind of kinship and, and brotherhood is important to me. And I see that um, when I think about people from my neighborhood, you know, my, my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. And so the neighborhood helped to form me. Some of my, I have a, a group of, I'm a one of four in my, in my, my cousin clique that we were all kind of the same age. And so the four of us grew up tight. And, and so having your best friends also be your, your mother's, sisters, sons is, is a really cool thing and, and help to shape uh, how I look at bonds and relationships and 
the identity you feel as a part of a group. You know, I think I was in, in my group. I was the probably the, the empathetic one of the four. So when I, you know, I guess uh, when I think about that, that's that's been the role that I embody was was being that person. Um, and I've always it's, it's come naturally. And so I, I love people. I love to encourage be the kind of presence that encourages people to be who they are whatever that is and be the, the, the best version of themselves. I like to be that person. I like to inspire people and help people not blow smoke at them, but just help people understand, you know, what their contribution can mean in this world and in, in, in their immediate situation, but even beyond that, um, I, that inspires me. Uh, and that's why I'm passionate about leadership because, um, uh, you know, so the, the, the greatest, most, um, impactful responsibility of a leader is to help other people soar. And I like to do that. And I like to make sure people have credit for, the brilliance that they bring to a, to a group or to a situation. I, I love doing that. And that's a, it's a God given trait that I just, you know, enjoy doing every day. I think that to your, to your question started at a young age and has led me to this point where I sort of get to do that um, with and, and for all the people that work for the city of Omaha. It might seem looking back inevitable that you would be moving in your life to a leadership position. You occupy this position. You are seen as a leader in the community. And I'm wondering how you feel about that. I'm wondering how you feel about being perceived as and relied upon and expected to behave as a leader. Hmm. Um, it's, it, it is, it is a, uh, an honor that people would be willing at, at any point to, to follow me. You know, and, and, and it's a heavy responsibility and, and to whom much is given. Right. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to serve to in, in a leadership capacity, but also really what I'm more passionate about is inspiring others to lead. You know, um, I have and I say this humbly, I, I've been very blessed and very fortunate to have some really be in some really cool situations. And so I feel like I've I've done that. I've achieved that. And, and I get more excitement and feel more gratification out of helping other people realize that. Cause I feel like I've done it. And, and, and I don't mean to sound like a, uh, like old wise uh, person ready to retire. I don't mean to, to, to convey that sentiment, but I just, I really, it inspires me to help other people see the uh, a leadership uh, ascension path. And I just, I, I feel, I just feel that responsibility and, and I feel sometimes I can see it, you know, you know, sometimes you are in a situation, usually you, you, when you have grown, you realize when you look back and say, oh, look how far I've come. Um, I've been in situations where I felt growth immediately, like in a, in making a decision. I felt myself expand. I felt like, oh, I, I know what to do. I know which call to make in this situation. And and wow, I just did that. And oh, I actually do know how to how to do that or how to make that call or how to pull that lever or how to or how to not do this or how to cut that. And that's been something that I've paid attention to is, is growth in the moment versus, you know, growth over time.
it's interesting work um do you find yourself i, I don't know I, i'm not even sure if this is the right word but um do you find yourself traumatized at all i mean how do you how do you look after yourself you know um it can be difficult and heavy and it can feel like it can feel like a burden that you have to carry for all for in my case you know all, all black folks right um but um the good thing about this space, Stu, and that's a great question too, is, is and what I found is it's, it's not, there, there's so many places where there's, um, where other practitioners um, are in circles to support one another. The, the Omaha Circle is a, is a group of my colleagues and peers, my counterparts at other organizations in the community. We meet monthly to discuss and share and talk about issues and 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 address what the question you the very question you asked. Do you know Joe Gerstant by chance? I do know Joe. You know, okay, Joe, yes. Joe convenes that. Yep. And yep. Joe doesn't own it; he's just a facilitator. And you, if you know Joe, you know he's a brilliant guy. And and uh, so the Omaha Circle is a place where I get a chance to talk with my colleagues and and on a, again on a monthly basis. Joe's recently invited me to be a part of the steering committee for that. So you know that was that's awesome because I because there's a five person group that helps to you know, line up the speakers and think through what are the topics. And, and it, again, it's, it doesn't, it's not competitive. It's unlike anything I've ever done before. It's not competitive. It's all about support and embracing people and sharing and learning and caring for one another. That's what it's about. And, and that has been refreshing and that helps. I'm um, also um, uh, Willie Barney of the Empowerment Network. He convenes uh, two DNI groups, uh, one composed of African-American DNI professionals, and then the individuals for black employee resource groups at organizations community-wide. And in some cases, those are the same people, but that group also convenes to just to decompress and talk about things and share and be sort of cathartic in how we, you know, do the work. Um, so for me, I do see things, I run into things, I hear things, I observe things sometimes that just, for me, it's more of a reinforcement. We got work to do. So even when good things happen, we celebrate those things. We point to, we, we sort of take a, an appreciative inquiry sort of approach to, hey, that was good. How do we do more of the good stuff and accentuate the positive stuff that's happening? Um, so I, I take it a, an appreciative inquiry approach to the good things that are happening before the things that are challenging or the things that make you say, that's why we need to have a chief diversity officer for the city. Um, those things I take with the grain. Um, and, and it reminds me, sometimes I'm able to say, you know what, um, the things that I deal with and you know, these first world problems that I have and the things of my generation, I'm, I'm 41, things in my generation that we deal with, that's nothing compared to what my ancestors dealt with or compared to what others in, in other countries are, are dealing with, you know, see the, you know, what's happening in, in Europe right now, you know, and, and so um, while that doesn't make everything okay here, I just look at the big picture. I, I, I look at the, the macro issues, uh, you know, that allows me to address the system. I look at the micro issues that allow me to sort of address hearts and mind. And, uh, and I just use my gift to try to disarm and invite people to be a part of it. There certainly will be people that don't give a damn about this, you know, I, that don't have a bleeding heart for it. And that's okay. And if I, if we spend undue time trying to change too many hearts and minds, then we'll miss the opportunity to, um, to make change where we can. Um, but at the same time, if you can allow one person to open their way of thinking or invite them to the conversation in a way they never have, you made a difference. You know, um, I, I don't I don't like when, when it's time to start talking about the hard stuff and then the white males sit on their hands and be quiet because they don't want to say the wrong thing. I've, I've seen that a lot. There, there have been, you know, white males that have been comfortable confiding in and saying, you know, Keith, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So 
when it's time to talk about this race stuff, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, I'll, I'll let the, the people who know or have the lived experience talk about it and I'll just sit here. And, and that, that's not how it should be done. And it's a delicate balance because sometimes you do need to let the, the constituency of folks who need to be heard and to be elevated lead the conversation, right? But then at the same time, again, inclusion means all. And, and, and it means everyone being a part of it. So you have to make space for the majority voice to ask questions and to help and to be an ally and to contribute. Support for this show comes from the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce. We don't coast. We accomplish more together. Details at omahachamber.org. My guest today has been Keith Station, Deputy Chief of Staff for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion in the Mayor's Office at the City of Omaha. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a real treat to spend some time with you. I appreciate your generosity. Thank you. Thank you. So this is a lot of pressure. I I, I felt like I had to bring it because, you know, you you had some some heavy hitters that, you know, uh, I said, I've made it. That's funny. That's the end of this week's show. You can listen again to this show and others by subscribing to the podcast at livesradioshow.com and find us on social media at livesradioshow. The music playing you in and playing you out each week was created specially for the show by Andrew Bailey. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden, and this is Live's Radio Show and Podcast. Join me next week for fresh voices and diverse perspectives on culture, community, and more. It's happening now, Stu. Now I'm unlocking this stuff. Uh, let me put my feet up on the on the couch here. Keep going.